Welcome to Future of Tech. What does it take to be a unicorn? Join host Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology, as he chats with business leaders and investors who are doing it now. All of our guests this season have achieved unicorn status by building innovative products, disrupting markets, and forging new, exciting industries. Database, infrastructure, security, human resources, marketing, and more. Our guests come from different industries, and you'll hear firsthand how they see the world differently. Passwords. Does anyone like passwords? Does anyone like entering 16 characters with an alpha, a special, and some weird symbol they can't even pronounce? We are already totally overwhelmed by the passwords in our lives. Meet Mickey Budai, the CEO and co-founder of Transmit Security. He is a serial investor in the cybersecurity domain and has started three companies, Imperva, Trustia, which was acquired by IBM, and Transmit Security, which just raised 543 million in a Series A funding round at a pre-money valuation of 2.2 billion. Mickey has a different vision, a future without passwords that is more secure, but with better usability. On this episode of Future of Tech, Mickey chats about how biometric data held securely on a personal device, combined with the implementation of corresponding cryptographic keys, can be used to verify identity rather than using passwords. He also passes on information he's learned about finding and retaining top talent and offers advice to the next generation of entrepreneurs. Enjoy this episode. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs' R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. We're here in a new episode of Future of Tech, and with me, it's a pleasure to have Miki Budai. Hello, Miki. Hi, Avishai. How are you? It's great seeing you. Um, as we chatted uh, earlier before, it was what, like 20 years ago? Um, I think you were one of my um, first employees. Uh, we worked together for what, like two weeks, and then uh, you've decided to start your own business. Uh, so it was a real pleasure. And once uh, we've decided to record this um, episode, I, th- I thought about so many things that I would like to, to discuss with you. So let's start with your permission. Sure. Mickey, I'd like to uh, start maybe with some, uh, you know, uh, setting the scene or understanding the, uh, the, the, the nature of, uh, of you as an entrepreneur. Uh, you founded the Imperva and Trustier both very, very successful, sold for a lot of money. And uh, I was wondering what's driving you today? What is the thing that still, uh, you know, ignites you to, uh, to still push forward? You know, I got to think about it um, recently. And um, I believe it's because the world is changing. And, um, you know, whatever I did 20 years ago, 10 years ago, or even five years ago, it's almost outdated today. Uh, there are new challenges. 
you know, new mountains to climb. And um, I, I generally enjoy the ride. So, you know, looking at uh, past achievements, uh, that's, that's not satisfying. Look, looking at potential future achievements, that's what, uh, what satisfies me. So that generally what, uh, you know, keeps me going. And, um, you know, to some extent, I believe that I'll, I'll never stop because the world will continue to change. Uh, cybersecurity, which is the uh, domain I'm in, is growing very fast. The um, technologies we have today are, you know, much more complex, much, much better than anything we had 20 or 30 years ago. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's more fun today to do some of the things that we couldn't do in the past. So overall, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying every day. And I think that um, from day to day, as the days pass, I, I enjoy it even, even more. So Great. Great to hear. And, and uh, you know, kind of music, uh, at, at least to my ears, the fact that you continue to push and, and uh, um, so it's, uh, it's great. And, and tell me when you're building a company or starting to strategize around an idea, are you looking for a, a big thing or you're just trying to solve a problem and later on it becomes, um, a huge thing? What's the process you're going through? Yeah, I think over the years I've realized a few things and, um, you know, if I go back like 20 years ago, I was more focused on specific technical problems that I, I kind of like stumbled across while, while doing whatever I did at that time. Um, I was less concerned about the, the market itself and how big the problem really is. I think that today when I'm looking at opportunities, I typically start with, uh, with the market and um, you know, then dive into the uh, the challenges in this market, and um, only then to the ID. So almost uh, kind of like reverse order to what I used to do um, many years ago, and that's probably the right order uh, for anyone who wants to um, make an impact. It's understanding what would make a huge impact because the, uh, the market is really big and any organization uh, needs that or faces that problem. And then from there, understanding what I have today, where are the challenges, how big these challenges are, who is um, like in, in terms of uh, service providers and vendors, who is in the best position to solve this problem and if you believe that no one is in a really good position to solve this problem, and you believe that a problem is going to grow, then you got an opportunity. And then you can start thinking about uh, the technology and the, uh, you know, the specific features and how you're going to differentiate yourself. And, um, and, and once you have all that figured out, then um, you can start going. Other than that, I think that, um, you know, the world really changed um, for startups and, and vendors over the past probably 10 years or, or so. And we're seeing across the globe, but uh, specifically in, uh, in Israel, which is where I am and where our development center is, 
a great demand for talented um, engineers, and uh, there is uh, there is just shortage of that. So, you know, one of the big challenges when starting to build a company today is whether you can actually attract the right talent and the right quantity of talent to get going. And I'm seeing some startups that just can't do that for various reasons. Uh, the competition is really um, intense. And um, if you can't be like, you know, when you're starting to solve a problem, big problem for a big market, you have to have the best talents in the market to do that. And if you cannot get these talents, then uh, like your chances of succeeding are relatively low. So that's another, uh, I would say, very big consideration when starting a startup today, which probably wasn't a huge consideration like 10 years ago. Yeah, I'll, I'll come. Uh, actually, it's one of the points that I wanted to discuss with you a bit later. Uh, with your permission, I'd like to pick your brain when it comes to an overview about the security market in the last two decades or so. So, you know, 20 years ago, as you said, it was a kind of a nascent market. Um, a few individuals, yourself, Amichai, and some other, you know, uh, great talents that uh, Mr. Kramer, you know, and some others that uh, thought about uh, idea here and idea there. And, and created the cool companies. And since then, it was like a tsunami of hundreds of security companies. And I'm trying to understand from your perspective, aren't we now having too many of those, like uh, too many very, very niche boutique companies that each one of them is trying to close something. And yet, you know, as the challenge is so big and, and the investment is is so big, uh, we, we're going to face uh, many of them, you know, disappearing? The answer is yes, we, we do have too many. And uh, at the same time, I would say that we don't have enough. Um, so we probably have too many of the same. And I'm actually seeing that over and over again over the years that you'll see uh, probably today, um, a dozen startups competing for exactly the same product. And obviously there is no place for like, you know, 10, 20 companies doing the same thing at the same time as a startup. And um, typically only like, you know, two, three of them will become uh, very successful and the rest will, uh, will either disappear or uh, become part of, um, of, of another company. But, um, you know, then there, like on, on the flip side of it, there are many problems to solve that um, no one is actually, you know, I would say um, attacking these specific problems yet. So, um, you know, I, I, I do think that going forward, it's not like let's stop here. We have enough startups. Uh, let's stop doing that. Um, it's just like, you know, we'll, we'll have more, we'll definitely have more, but, uh, you know, the question is, um, how many of these will be successful? Definitely not the, uh, the many hundreds of, uh, cybersecurity startups that we're seeing today, uh, in the market. What drives that is, is obviously, um, you know, the, uh, the cybersecurity problem, which, uh, keeps growing, even though we are 
um, investing more and more in cybersecurity. So definitely the um, you know the venture market is investing more in cyber. Like the the runs that we're seeing today, the amount of money that goes into cybersecurity companies, like you know compare that to what we had ten or twenty years ago. That's uh, you know that's not even comparable. You know, even the budgets that uh, enterprises are allocating today to cybersecurity is not comparable to what we've seen 10 or 20 years ago. So the investment is uh, is growing, but the problem is probably growing much faster. And that's the uh, the core problem of cybersecurity today. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll uh, hopefully have some more time to, to dig into it, but now... Let me start to pick your brain about your current uh, endeavor, uh, which is, um, you know what, instead of me describing it, maybe you'll, you'll give me like a, a basic, walk us through what's the issue in the world? Why is passwords and everything related to password is so problematic? And, and what did you try to solve? I think that um, over the, um, the past uh, decade, we, we kind of realized that um, the biggest cybersecurity problem that organizations are going to face in the future is identity. And um, probably the, um, the best um, example for that is if you take um, a relatively small company, like, you know, look at Transmit Security, we have just, you know, probably less than 300 employees right now. So we are still a relatively small company. We're using close to 200 SaaS applications today across, um, you know, marketing, sales, HR, finance, dev, DevOps. um, And the number keeps growing. And at some point as the CEO of the company, I wanted to, stop the uh, the flow of uh, SaaS applications. And I, I just couldn't. And this is not a problem that is specific to transmit. I think that's, um, that's, that's the way the world works right now. So you got like segmentation, you have a lot of different features, a lot of different applications for different use cases. And enterprises are just consuming uh, these applications. But even as a company that has customers, the number of applications, services that you're offering to your customers uh, continues to increase. And if you kind of look what's the biggest problem you have right now as an enterprise, it's no longer network security because we are moving from on-prem to, to the cloud, like the new companies like Transmit and many of the uh, you know, startups in, uh, around the world, they don't really care about network security. They, they were built in a different way. Network security is a problem that cloud vendors have, um, like you know, Google, Microsoft, Apple, uh, not necessarily um, enterprises today. And the real problem in terms of uh, security is, is identity, is how do I understand which users should have access to each one of these applications? 
how do I onboard users to each one of these applications in a secure uh, in a secure way? How do I onboard users to the organization uh, in a secure way? How do I authenticate users across all these applications? How do I make sure that the permissions they have to access data and services are the right permissions? How do I avoid account takeover from you know? For my employees and my um, and, and my customers, I think a great example from this week is uh, Robinhood. Just had just announced um, uh, a very big um, data breach, and if you actually read what they're saying, the reason for the data breach where they had like you know I don't know like how many millions of customer details um, exposed is account takeover. Someone managed to social engineer a support engineer at Robinhood and get into an account, an employee account, and from there uh, grab a lot of data. So really, it's it's all around identity today. And if you look at actually, if you analyze all the data breaches that we're seeing over the past few years. More than 80% of them start um, and some of them end with um, account takeover. So mo- more than 80% of them are an identity problem. And if you look at fraud on the consumer side, more than 90% of it is associated with account takeover. So money that is being stolen from consumers, enterprises, data that is being breached and stolen from uh, specific users, ransom, ransomware attacks on consumers. Most of it is due to account takeover and the ability of uh, fraudsters and attackers to get into one or more of your accounts. And that's, that's a huge problem across the, um, uh, across the market. And actually, uh, attackers are becoming better and better in doing that. They have more tools, more knowledge. Uh, it's not just more tools and more knowledge, but uh, the quality of the attackers is getting better. So we're seeing smarter people uh, going on the dark side. And um, therefore, the, um, the problem is, is increasing um, accordingly. So identity is the problem. And this is why we decided, and going back to your previous question, when I look at what I want to do, I want to address a huge market. And I believe that identity is going to be the biggest problem in cybersecurity. And the biggest market for cybersecurity. And that's why we got into, into that space. Help me out here. Identity is not a new problem. There were companies looking into identity management for, for many years. So A, what was changed? Or B, what's different in the, in the way that you are addressing it that uh, it's now becoming uh, you know, so interesting? You're right that identity has been for forever, basically. But uh, at the same time, it hasn't changed much over the past uh, 20 years. 
the biggest innovation in identity that we have seen is companies who do the same thing as they as we did before, but they're doing that in the cloud, and it's more um, you know it's more developer friendly. But in terms of the core technology on how we do authentication, authorization, onboarding, um, identifying account takeovers, that hasn't changed much over the past 20 years. And I've been in this specific space for 20 years now with um, Trustier and Transmit, and I can tell you nothing has changed almost. So if we really want to look at identity as security and security as identity, we need to change the way we think about this technology. And that's our goal as a vendor, as Transmit. There is a reason why we're called Transmit Security and why the name security is part of the name of the company, uh, because we want to emphasize that security is a huge part of our DNA and a huge part of what identity is. And we believe that over the years, identity companies and uh, the identity domain itself was not really considered uh, part of cybersecurity. And, uh, you know, therefore, the solutions that we have today uh, for identity are not strongly coupled with security, really. And that's, that's part of the problem. And they, um, you know, the management side of it has made some progress. The interoperability side of it made progress, but the security side of identity made no progress at all over the past uh, 20 years. The fact that we're still using passwords today is a great example for that. It's one example out of the many problems that we have in identity. It's a problem that we are kind of like pushing very hard right now because we believe that the solution for uh, getting rid of password is ready and companies should really move away from passwords, both for their employees and their customers, because that's going to solve a huge part of the problem. Explain to me the problem with the password, because uh, I was uh, in a layman's world, I would say, let's say most of our uh, audience, they are using passwords today. And, you know, some of them are even using numbers and characters. And so they, they believe that their passwords are very strong. So explain to me what's wrong with the password and why is it, as you called it, something that we need to get rid of? Why, why, why get rid of something so good if we have numbers in our password? Let's start with history, which kind of explains how, you know, the, the problem with the password, the core problem with the password, right? So... We started with a password like, you know, many years ago, which was, uh, you know, very, very simple, whatever it is, the password was. And it turned out that uh, many users chose a password that is easy to guess, like, you know, one, two, three, four, whatever it is, uh, my name, my wife's name, my cat name, whatever. So guessing passwords became really easy as, as an attack vector. So like, you know, you even look at some of the um, older movies, you see like attackers are kind of like thinking, okay, what's, what's the name of, um, you know, the, uh, the dog or your birthday and guessing the password. And that was, uh, that was part of the problem. So 
the industry was like, okay, how can we patch that problem? And they came up with two solutions. The first solution is like, if someone is trying to guess more than uh, two or three times, let's block the account, right? It's like, so you're typing a wrong password, typing a wrong password, like after like three, four, five times, the account is blocked for whatever, 30 minutes, one, one hour, one day. The second solution to that is like, let's make the password stronger in a way that it's hard to guess. So capital and, um, you know, capital letters, uh, special characters, numbers, all that. Okay, let's, let's build a mix that you can choose one, two, three, four. Um, has to be eight characters, et cetera. The problem with that is that it, it did, like, you know, these patches, did solve the specific attack vectors of, of um, guessing passwords, but it created new problems. So the first problem is that people don't remember their password. Okay. The, the second problem is that you have multiple accounts and each one of them wants you to choose a strong password. So uh, typically what you would do is you would start using the same password across all your accounts. A typical user, by the way, has around 200 password protected accounts. Many of them you only used once in your life, but still you used it with a password that you're using on, on a lot of other accounts that you may use on a regular day. Um, so you, you probably have like, you know, around 20 to 30 accounts that you use regularly, but you also have many that you are registered to and you have your details there um, and you have a password for, but you're not using anymore. So what happens next, we start to see two new attack vectors. The first one is that because we are reusing passwords, Whenever a certain website is breached and the passwords are captured by the attackers, they can now take these passwords and start to use them or try them at least with other services. So if you use the same password for a merchant's website and your bank account, then if the merchant website is, uh, is breached, uh, the attackers would take that password and try it with your bank account and if you're using the same password, they'll succeed. So this, this attack vector is called credential stuffing. And there are many uh, automated tools that do that today for the attackers. Actually, uh, if, you, if you go to the dark web, there are more than 2 billion credentials there uh, today, which include passwords and usernames and phone numbers and uh, you know, all sorts of um, identifiable uh, information. Um, the number is just like, this is one of your passwords. The chances that this password is on the dark web today is close to 100%. The, by the way, there are websites that can check this for you. And uh, you, you can go and check it and you'll see that many people will see that many of their passwords are already, um, were already stolen. The second attack vector was uh, phishing. So websites that um, look very similar to the real website and you get an email that encourages you to uh, click a link 
and it asks you to authenticate on behalf of that website. You okay. don't really um, notice that it's a different website. You, pro- you, you just give away your password. And um, actually, it's, it's interesting. We just did a survey with people aged between um, 18 and 24 in the U.S., and more than 70% of them don't know what phishing is and don't believe they can uh, identify a phishing website. And it used to be easy to identify a phishing website because it doesn't look exactly the same. The URL was broken and you had a lot of signs that you know something is fishy with the, uh, with the phishing website. But today it's becoming really hard to do that even for professionals. Um, there are many techniques to uh, make it look uh, really convincing. The other thing that fraudsters are doing uh, very well is uh, the trigger for you to go on a phishing website. Um, it, it used to be like you know a stupid email that uh, doesn't really read well, so most people would not uh, click on it. But uh, today they are uh, using, for example, one of the examples that I give because it's, um, it's a really interesting one. I'm sure you got before, like, you know, if you have a Google account, an email from Google saying that, you know, we, we, we saw someone logging into your account from Virginia uh, with a Windows device. Uh, if it wasn't you, do whatever, like click this or so. What the attackers are doing is because this is a technically a legitimate email that is coming from Google, uh, they just copied the, um, uh, the email and they send it to you. And it says like, you know, we saw someone logging into your account from Turkey uh, with an Apple device. If it wasn't you, click here. And you're used to this email. You've seen it many times before and it looks exactly the same. And you're like, you know, I'm not in Turkey. That's not me. You click that link. You go to a website that looks exactly like the Google login page, asks you for your password, and you just give your password away, and and that's it. Now, because of phishing, you know, the market was like, okay, how do you, how do we patch this problem? And the patch that we came up with is two-factor authentication. So password is not enough. It's not strong enough. Doesn't matter how many restrictions we put around passwords. Um, can be easily stolen with phishing. So now we want something else to happen after you give your password or, or log in with your password. And two-factor authentication uh, came in, and they're like thinking, okay, what's the best way to do two-factor authentication? What's the one thing that everyone has? And that's your, uh, that's your mobile phone. And, uh, okay, we can send you um, a one-time code to your mobile device. And we'll ask you to enter that code back into, uh, into the website. And now we have, like, you know, two factors because one factor is the first factor is something you know, which is your password. The second factor is something you have, which is your mobile device. And for attackers, it's going to be very hard to um, you know, take over both uh, factors at once, but actually, you know, attackers were like, "Okay, that's that's not a big problem." So if we go back to the example I just gave with Google, right? So Google are smart; they're using two-factor authentication. 
what happens when uh, you give away your password to this phishing website, there is an automated tool on the phishing website side that immediately takes the password and tries to log in into your Google account. Now, Google are not stupid. They're like, okay, someone is trying to log in to, to this account from Turkey. Um, you know, we know Avishai is not in Turkey, never been to, like, you know, we know all these devices. This is not one of them will trigger two-factor authentication. So they immediately send you a code uh, to your mobile device, starting with G and, and a number. But you, on the other end, you think you're in a legitimate authentication process with Google because you just clicked on a link, you went to a website that looks like Google, you gave your password, and now this phishing website just changes the page and asks for the one-time code. And Google just sent you the one-time code because the, um, the fraudster just tried to log into your Google account. So you take that code, you provide it back to, uh, to the phishing website and the automated tool that the attackers have just completes the process with Google. Now what happens is that you, as the victim, you get a message, thank you very much. We just blocked the attacks. Everything is great. Continue with your day. You think everything is great. Google completed the two-factor authentication process. So they believe you have a new device right now in Turkey and uh, they approve and trust this device. And with great features they have like single sign-on, the attacker now has a device that is associated with Avishai's identity and um, can now get into any of your Google services. So this would be Gmail, um, Docs, Calendar, um, Drive, Photos. Uh, they have access to everything, basically. They also have access to passwords that Google stores for you to many other applications. So like, you know, if you're using Google Chrome um, and whenever they're suggesting um, to keep a password for you, they're keeping it in the cloud so they can refill it the next time you go to, um, to that website. And because now the attacker is logged into your uh, Google account, they can go and see all these passwords. So, you know, the, uh, the problem with the password is that we keep patching it Every time we see a problem, okay, there is a problem here. Let's try to think what we can do to solve it. And from a security perspective, it's always very easy to bypass. And from a usability perspective, it became really, really bad because you need to remember a lot of passwords. They're like, you know, include special characters and all that. Two-factor authentication is not a very pleasant process to go through. So usability is not great. Security is definitely um, bad. And that's in a nutshell, the, uh, the problem with passwords. Okay, you got me scared. Um, so, okay, so I don't want password and two-factor uh, two authentication has its own problem as, as, uh, as you just described. Okay, so what should we do? So if you ask me the... This question, uh, let's say five, six, seven years ago, I would say th there isn't much we can do. We can add different layers and try to patch uh, in different ways. 
but there is no one solution that can really address the uh, the core problem of the uh, the password. But um, you know, over the uh, the past few years, uh, the one technology that emerged and reached uh, maturity is uh, biometrics. Now, the reason it reached matur- maturity is because uh, first of all. Most of the devices that are manufactured today, whether these are mobile devices, laptops, uh, tablets, include a biometric reader as part of the device. Whether this is uh, a fingerprint reader or a face recognition reader, uh, that's part of these uh, these devices. And the technology itself uh, behind biometrics became much, much better than it used to be, both in terms of uh, the level of security and the usability. And that uh, is also reflected in the false positives and false negatives that we're seeing for, uh, for this technology. So if you actually remember, like, you know, probably 10 years ago, you had like biometric readers in Lenovo and IBM uh, laptops but the usability was horrible, right? It's like, you know, it, it only worked one in like every three times you try it. You had to scroll your finger very, uh, very slowly until it actually identifies you. That wasn't a, a good um, experience, but uh, you know, today you take your, uh, your iPhone, you just look at a screen and it unlocks, right? It's like, Usability is great, and the security story behind it is even much, um, much more interesting uh, because uh, there are layers that are, are built into it, and um, you know, very smart algorithms and uh, specific hardware that sits in these devices that is responsible for the biometric authentication and the security aspects of um, the, the authentication process. And along the way, we also solved the privacy issue around biometrics. And, uh, you know, probably many um, of your viewers um, read that Facebook will stop using its um, face recognition technology in some parts of their business. But the way biometric authentication works today in all these devices is that the biometric data never leaves your own device, your own personal device. So if a website is trying to authenticate you with biometrics, it has no information, real information about you, about your uh, biometric profile. It's all stored on the device itself. And when you're doing face recognition or fingerprint scanning, the device itself is responsible for matching this um, against uh, the profile stored for you. And between the device and the website or the, the application, there are cryptographic algorithms that um, ensure to the website that this is really you and that the biometric uh, data really belongs to you. So we solved the, uh, the privacy issue around it. Uh, definitely in terms of security, it's a much, much better uh, technology uh, compared to anything else we have uh, in the market today, uh, and it's getting better. And in terms of usability, it's much easier. You never forget your biometrics. You forget your password 
all the time. Like, you know, the, the, the data that we have, if you don't use a, a specific website or a specific application on a daily basis, there is a very good chance that you'll forget a password for that application after a couple of weeks. So people, um, you know, use the forgot my password link process all the time across many applications. And that's not a, a pleasant user experience. And with biometrics, again, you don't have this problem. If you register to an application or a website and you go there after like six months, it will still work. So that's definitely the, uh, the technology we need to use going forward. And there are a lot of challenges around it in terms of uh, implementation and how to do this right and how to address all the edge cases around biometrics and how to overcome some of the constraints such as that the biometric data is linked to a specific device. And most of us have multiple devices that we're using, but um, it's all, um, these are all things that uh, we've solved and uh, now is the right time for, uh, for enterprises to get rid of passwords, both for their employees, because like we look at Robinhood and what happened to them, that was on the employee side, and both for uh, definitely for uh, consumers, because that's, as I said, like not more than 90% of the fraud problem that we're seeing today in the market. Oh, this was fascinating, Miki. Uh, I would like to come back to one of the topics that you've mentioned with regards to talent and uh, speak about several aspects. First of all, at least from my knowledge, uh, the last round that you've made was not just huge in staggering numbers, uh, but also very, very innovative in the sense that uh, you didn't just raise money to grow the company, but to, to acquire talent. Can you share the philosophy behind it? When we started uh, Transmit, we were like, okay, we, we want to build a company that is successful because customers want to buy our products. And um, we decided not to raise any, um, you know, any VC money, um, which will kind of like, push us or, you know, will we'll get us to focus more on, on the problem and, and creating a real business. And it, it was successful to, to some extent, very successful because uh, we became uh, a profitable company very fast and we never raised money um, in, in seven years. And, uh, you know, we solved real problems for, uh, for customers who were willing to pay a lot of money for it. And, uh, you know, our customers included uh, the biggest banks in the world uh, with tens of millions of users. But then, like, you know, the market has, has really changed. And, you know, we started to see all the VCs basically pushing huge amounts of money to, uh, to startups, uh, you know, runs that used to be in the million, single millions became like, you know, tens of millions and, and even today, hundreds of millions. And the race for getting good talents across the globe, but specifically in Israel, uh, became really fierce. Um, it, it was 
obvious to us that uh, we need all the tools that we can get to really compete for, for talents. And talents was one of the kind of like key elements we always uh, focused on because to do smart things, you need to have the best talent. And we started to realize that engineers don't have the, uh, the ability to understand the, uh, the transmit business because we were like, you know, we haven't raised money. We didn't have an official valuation to the company. And the story we were telling to engineers who were trying to recruit was very different than the story they heard from anyone else in, in the market, like you know, all the startups that were valued at a billion or whatever and raised a hundred million. So we were starting to lose talent just based on the fact that we have a different story. So a big reason why we did this round is because we need, needed the certification, the market certification, to show that um, the VC community believe in the company, believes in what we do, and uh, is willing to give us the valuation and the um, you know the huge amount of money that we've raised to basically make an impact and say, hey, we're here, we're big, we're solving a huge problem. Look at this um, you know uh, market verification we got and that's just i would say one one tool in our toolbox but it 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 is one that is um very important today you know in terms of media attention most of the media attention that we're trying to get is to build a brand for the company with our potential customers obviously but also with employees it is equally important today and um, we didn't get any a lot of uh, media attention because we uh, we weren't playing the same game as um, all the other uh, startups in the market. So we we have, haven't raised money. We didn't have evaluation. So basically, you know, reporters had nothing much to write about from their perspective. So we changed all that. And um, the, the other thing we did with, with the money is obviously to start compete for, for salaries that went, went up significantly over the past uh, 12 months. And basically, it's to, to make sure that um, as we continue to grow and we add more products uh, to our uh, portfolio, we still manage to keep the same quality of talent of people in the company. And that was the main reason for, uh, for, for this um, huge run we did, as funny as it sounds. No, it actually makes a lot of uh, logic. Mickey, um, I have many, many more questions I'd, I'd like, but uh, to, to try and, and squeeze a few personal ones. Um, on one end, uh, as you said, there is a... You look in the, into the past and, and you recall the history. If you were now the same age as Mickey, like 20 years ago, would you recommend this young uh, Mickey to go and create his own company and take the cyber track? Or you believe that he should look into different routes? 
you have many options today. You can like if you're looking at, you know, making a lot of money and uh, doing something very interesting, uh, you could also do that as um, an employee, um, you know, one of the first employees in one of the startups or, um, you know, even later on. Um, as I said, like, you know, the, uh, uh, the compensation in the cyber domain is very impressive. And there are a lot of, um, a lot of employees that came in uh, very early to, to startups and made a lot of money because of that, just because of the options. I think that, like, you know, building your own company, becoming an entrepreneur, this has to come from you. Right, it has to be in you, and no matter what's what's like, you know, the other alternatives are for you. Uh, this is the one thing you want to do, right? It's like uh, you know, this is your passion. You want to be in control. You think you know what you're doing. You you want to take this journey, and if you have it in you. I would say, uh, don't hold yourself back, like, you know, go and do it. If you don't have this in you and someone is pushing you into it, don't do it. There are better alternatives for you today. And uh, that, that's it in a nutshell. Now, I know, Mickey, you're a family man. Do you have the time uh, to balance between uh, your personal life and work? I do. I think I always, I want to believe that I always found the, uh, uh, the right balance. And it is becoming, I think, easier with time because, you know, obviously uh, you have more experience. Uh, you, you learn from, uh, from your own mistakes. And as we get older, you know, generally, I believe we're making better choices. I do prioritize uh, family and, um, you know, that's an advice that I'm also giving to many of the um, younger entrepreneurs I'm working with. Um, th- this is very important. And, you know, the time with the family that um, like n- nothing can give it back to you if you're like, you know, missing it right now, right? It's like, you know, something you need to, to balance uh, and it's super Im- important. It doesn't matter how successful you are. If you're looking back, Um, at the last 20 years and you're saying I spent no time with my family and I didn't see my children grow and like no one can bring this back to you. I strongly believe that what you're saying is so true. Um, so Mickey, it was a pleasure, first of all, to see an entrepreneur that continues to drive forward and, and don't uh, lose the passion and burning desire to change the world. Uh, second, as I said, I, I love what you're doing and envy the way you did it, everything on your own. So it was a real pleasure to watch you over the years, but it also is a, was a pleasure to, to talk to you. And thank you very much for, uh, for this interview. Thank you, Avishai. Thank you for having me. It was um, real fun. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Sharlin, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.